Hello, Hyrule! Welcome to episode 10 of Hello, Hyrule, the premiere Legend of Zelda travelogue podcast. We are your tour guides. My name is Pete. My name's Chris. Pete, we hit double digits. We done did it. Wow, what a, a milestone. And it still feels like we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg in regards to this game. We're like, maybe a third? Arguably not even there? I I mean, we are one temple away from being a third, I think, technically. Oh boy, alright, well we better uh, keep on keeping on then. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Today we're busted open the doors of the Earth Temple, and we're heading down uh, some pretty intimidating stairs. Yeah. Yeah, so just to do a quick recap, I guess before we, we get into it with the Earth Temple, uh, in the last episode we put our sunscreen on, hopped onto Flofty, and made our way over to the Elden <laughs> Province, where we met our Moli Magma friends, uh, obtained our digging mitts, the first piece of our elaborate knuckles the echidna cosplay <laughs> and we played a bit of minesweeper i mean uh, we played a bit of thrill digger before gathering up hidden key pieces uh that we need to unlock the earth temple man honestly we covered i feel like we covered a lot of ground in the last one huh yeah we it, it was one of those episodes i feel like we knew going and it was going to be a mile a minute and and yeah i think this one there's not as much um, but it's good because we have some some postcards to tackle at the end of this episode that I'm looking forward to. Heck yes. Very excited for that. Right. So let's talk about the Earth Temple. So do you want to give a bit of a description for like just generally the vibe and, and what the Earth Temple? I, it, it's crazy to me that this is the Earth Temple. I keep saying it, but like this is a fire temple. There are fire temples in all Zelda games. This, by all accounts, is a fire temple. This is very much has fire temple energy. It's very weird that this is called a fire temple. Although I'm glad that we're addressing this right away, Chris, because... At the top of this episode, I want to address like two different things that are persistent throughout the entire time that we're here. Okay. Mm -hmm. The first thing is that the music slaps this. The soundtrack for this temple is great. It's very good. And I'll have put a little bit of it earlier on. But yeah, by all means, you should be checking out the soundtrack for this whole game. Uh, they put out a whole orchestrated CD, which is what we've been using Um We've been ripping tracks from that CD mm -hmm. uh, for for this podcast, and you should definitely seek out those tracks and this this song. Um, and the second thing, Chris, is that I have a rolling theory with this. I looked at my notes over again today, and I'm still fairly convinced that this, it, while still technically being the Earth Temple, was not always filled with lava. Okay. Okay. Why is that? Well, I mean, it's just based on the premise that. Uh, uh, a lot of symbology in this place is based around animals, right? Mm -hmm. 
There's like these like dog statues and dragon statues. There's dogs that like dog symbology and like elephants that like spew fire from their trunks. And also like each of the roads, there's like there's roads here, even though it's like a, a carved out of the earth kind of place. There are these like blue stone mosaic roads, which are very pretty, by the way, uh, that when they end at different points, they're like snake heads and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Like tons of animals, very earthy. Fire and lava, not so earthy. No, no. Yeah, this is definitely a place that has been consumed by uh, the lava inside of it, which is yeah. weird because it's also like almost definitely a volcano. Oh, yeah. Like there are these structures. But when you enter the temple, it's you're entering a volcano. Mm -hmm. Like it's pretty clear. So I guess the idea is that they built all this on the inside of an inactive volcano that became more active at some point. That is very likely, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, especially considering, like, this is a travelogue, right? And I'm thinking, in travelogue sense, of what this used to be and what I know of, like, Death Mountain and the surrounding areas in the future. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, throughout different generations, hot springs are found here, right? Sure. So I'm thinking that might have been what this originally was. It was, like, some kind of hot spring spot. Sure. Uh, that makes sense. Those are all when when the volcanoes are inhabited by Goron, which is something that happens like clearly far after this, right? Oh, yeah. So that would imply that there's something in here, but there's kind of, it's just kind of the magma. I mean, I guess, yeah, maybe the magma are, in, are inhabiting it and have like a little town in the volcano, but they also seem kind of reluctant. Like they mm. don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, as much as we know, like how far back we're we're still not entirely clear on how far back it was that Hylia grabbed all of her, you know, chosen people and dipped. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where this could have been just another place where people similar to Skyview, where uh, uh, it was just a place that was much more um, complex and much more, you know, occupied before all that stuff happened. You know? Sure. Like down below uh, uh, in the valley, you see Bacoblins have set up houses and stuff. You know, I doubt very much that they are the original occupants of this place, you know? Totally. But it just, it goes without saying that the people who inhabited this volcano were very irresponsible in doing so. <laughs> because who could have predicted the lava then engulfed most of this stuff in, in this place? Uh, so yeah, we have a lot of like, obviously brown walls waterfalls of molten lava kind of like spewing in with like a lot of tight walkways kind of what you alluded to before a lot of bridges with like you know boulders in the walls there there'll be like oh a chunk of a bridge is missing and there's oh, a yeah. boulder on the other side of it you have to throw a bomb a lot of puzzles like that a lot of cool structures like you mentioned which are seem to me like chinese inspired i mean we did i think we touched upon chinese like design at the end of last episode i am a completely untraveled heathen so i don't really know much about you know global culture design but at least my first impulse is that it's like some kind of fusion between chinese indian you know uh, yeah uh, inspiration here that's the impression i got also as another uncultured heathen <laughs> but yeah no absolutely similar to skyview you can tell at certain spots where there were paths here now completely destroyed Mm -hmm. So just like Skyview, I would love to know what this place used to look like before, you know, uh, Demise, you know, had his little death parade around Hyrule. Yeah, that's a good point. That would be kind of cool. It would be nice if at the end you were able to see 
even if it was like static images or in the beginning, you know, in, in the intro, if you were able to see like static Im- images of some of these locations that have gone into ruin, like the previous temple and this one. Mm-hmm. But uh, we do not have that, unfortunately. I also looked in the art books and I wasn't able to find anything specifically about this dungeon, unfortunately. Well, it's hard to it's hard to nail down concepts. I mean, this is how I imagine it. It's hard to nail down concepts for a place that's just wrecked. Sure. Totally. That makes sense. So do we want to, is there any more that we want to go into with the description or should we start talking about some of the inhabitants? Inhabitants being monsters? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Well, when you first go in, the first actual entrance to the place is like after the first room because there's a closed off door that you have to use. I think you use Beetle Buddy to cut these chains in order to drop the drawbridge down over the lava. Yep. Yeah, you get a lot of use out of Beetle Buddy in this dungeon. Yeah. There are a lot of upped bridges where you have to uh, hit a few switches on the floor or they're not switches they're like rope so it'll be like there are three pieces of rope hanging the bridge up and making it inaccessible to link you take the two out on the ground and then you throw beetle buddy up go around the bridge and you take the last piece of string out on the other side of the bridge sort of puzzles Right, which kind of gives like a fort uh, 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 vibe, right? Like this place was supposed to be fortified a long time ago. Maybe, yeah. That's a good point. Once you get in there, suffice to say, you get into a much larger chasmous room that is just completely flooded with lava, which is where you're going to spend be spending a lot of the time. It's kind of like a hub that you go from room to room. Mm-hmm. And the first enemy you're going to see are these like <laughs> kind of shabby, like little fat, like spherical hippo things that you find is that would you say that's accurate chris so you're talking about the magma spumes i'm talking about magma spumes yeah uh to me they are um a mix of blowfish and frogs i think they're frogs oh yeah you know what now that you say that yeah that that makes (laughs) a lot more sense they got like a little bit of a tadpole tail and the the webbed feet Mm -hmm. yeah so they are circular red tadpole looking things with webbed feet they have like a little fire tail and they have like these weird boxy yellow eyes that like come out of their heads sort of like snails antennas or something like that yeah except it's eyes but yeah exactly like shape wise exactly like that um these guys always attack you from the lava they always like hit you with projectile fireball attacks um yeah those attacks can be sliced and they blow up or they can be reflected back with the shield if you do a parry you want to do this right away by the way because i have been hit by a sneak attack by these guys too many times these guys would be a pain in the butt there's also a method of traversal in this dungeon that's very cool and fun which is link getting on a boulder in the lava and traversing around lava on this boulder which like you have full 3d movement oh you're talking about like because they're in the center of this room there's a like a uh, a ruined statue of some kind that mm-hmm. you have to i think throw a bomb at to destroy exactly. yes and when that happens it drops this big you know perfect marble sphere that it was uh, uh holding on to and when you get onto it you can hop onto it and roll around like log rolling yes exactly I, th- I found that to be a lot of fun and you can like roll right over these guys that is pretty satisfying i will say because it, it, it rises up on the top of them slightly and then you feel them just pop underneath the sphere which is very good exactly it's like popping a pimple and uh, Fai's comment about the magma spume, she says, This odd creature is quite at home in magma. It stores and processes gas produced by the magma into a flaming projectile that it then spits out. 
Cowardly by nature, it sits with its eyes just out of the lava in order to detect any danger and flee if necessary. So I guess that's why it has those the eyes protruding in the way it does. <laughs> so this thing sits this thing sits around sucking up volcanic gas with its big old green smoochy lips and it t- somehow turns that into fire? I guess so. Yeah. It stores and processes gas produced by the magma into a flaming projectile. Yeah, you would think it's just, like, it almost feels like they overcomplicated that. Like, this thing just exists in lava. Sometimes it spits that yeah. lava out to you. There comes to It comes to a point where they don't really need to, ha- they don't really have to explain it. But then I, I start to question stuff like, oh, it absorbs extremely, you know, hot gas and then per- goes down underneath very dense lava, somehow staying down there. That's a lot of muscle. You need to do that. You would think that these things would be blowing up doing that, right? Like combusting? That seems incredibly dangerous. There's a reason that these don't like persist further into the future. They no no survivability, I think. No, but you know what does have survivability is the one other type of enemy we encounter in this dungeon. Well, one of two. Okay, mm-hmm. so there are two other enemies. Both of them survive into future games. And I'm talking about the Lizalfos. You know, it's funny. Up until like uh, Breath of the Wild, I didn't care all that much about Lizalfos. But ever since then, I get excited whenever I see them in a game. Oh, yeah? What was it about Breath of the Wild's Lizalfos? That- oh, no, it's just like they, they seem kind of like goofy in a way where they just kind of slither about the place and they move very jerkily. Yeah. There's also a, a decent variation in the design of the Lizalfos, like like from game to game. Oh, yeah. In this one, they kind of have a little bit of like a like gecko heads in a way. Yeah. Actually, there was a point where one of these things straight up reminded me of Gex the Gecko from the PlayStation. <gasps> You're speaking to my inner child, Chris. Especially like the weird bodies and whatnot. But yeah, okay, so in this game specifically, they are like these iguana slash dinosaur looking creatures with a large metal arm that kind of doubles as a shield and they have like a battle mace on their tail. The the big old gauntlet on their arm, that's not part of their body, right? No, that seems like it's specifically like a weapon. They use it like a weapon. Yeah, yeah. There, I have a question about Lizalfos before we even describe them much further. Mm-hmm. A similar question to the Bokoblins that I think I've asked before, which is like, do you think that these enemies are sapient? Like, do you think they have feelings? Yes, because they they express fear. Yes, they do. That's true. Huh. Yeah. That kind of makes it kind of sad, doesn't it? And they also wear, they wear these like tunics, not maybe not tunic, but like little loincloths loincloths which means that they uh oh they have shame they have shame (laughs) fear and shame the two base emotions oh Um, no (laughs) yeah i like these guys it's something like that that kind of makes me wonder like where the certain species are going in the future of the franchise where it's like um same thing for like lionels too Mm -hmm. where zora used to be enemies this is a soapbox I get on every now and then, where Zora used to be enemies in the original games, but now they're like, you know, the elves of Hyrule, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, and I just wonder if that's some if that transition is ever going to happen for other species. But as I've addressed previously, Bokoblins and Lizalfos, we've eaten parts of them, so that's probably not going to happen. 
Yeah, no, it would be weird. Uh, uh, yeah, we've had this conversation before, and I think when you brought that up before, I was like, oh yeah, that's when it would get weird. We totally have eaten parts of them. <laughs> Actually, every time you defeat the Lizalfos in this game, they drop their tail. Right. So it's like the from from the base of the tail to the to that weird battle mace, and I think the first time you pick it up, it says, surely it's a little gross, but you never know when you may need one. Yeah, you take their tail and the little, like, end cap that they put on there, like, as a crafting item, which makes me wonder if you're using the tail at all or just, like, the little, you know, spiky iron ball. It's an upgrade material for the bomb bag and the sacred bow. Oh. So I don't know how you're using it for those things. I don't even think we should begin to go down that rabbit hole because I doubt they put any thought into it. Oh, I'm thinking about it, Chris, and I don't like it. We need to move on. <laughs> um, so yeah, Fi, her comment on the Lazalfos is, This unmistakable monster is equipped with an arm guard made of hard iron. Great physical prowess makes it difficult to predict its movements. You will need to anticipate the direction of its arm guard to successfully land an attack on the exposed angle. It's a similar thing to Bacoblins. Mm-hmm. It's a bit more advanced, so you have to like... Oh yeah, they juke you a lot. Right, you have to attack them, which leads them to defending in a certain area, and then you attack them while they're defending, and they'll try to attack you, leaving them exposed on one side, and uh, you can attack that exposed side. Uh, it's not too tough, but it's definitely like a, a bit tougher, and it's very much like, hey, we have motion controls, like one of those enemies. Right. Aside from those two, we have fire keys, which we've had in plenty of other areas, oh, yeah. and we've addressed, so we probably don't need to go too deep into that. But those are the three recurring characters outside of the boss who we'll talk about later. Those are the three recurring characters in, in the Earth Temple. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say? The Fire Temple? The Fire Temple. This is a Fire <laughs> Temple. It drives me crazy. It makes no sense. It's not like this was their first time doing it, and like they changed it later. It's completely chaotic that they did that. Anyway, we should we should start talking about some of the rooms that we liked or some of the moments that we liked in this dungeon, maybe. Not gonna lie, like, this particular spot is the number one thing that I took notes on in my area. Uh, mm -hmm. I did do, like, a, cl a quick cliff notes to catch myself up, like, with a, a kind of obnoxious Let's Player that I found. But mm -hmm. uh, the number one thing that I remembered was in this main room, again, where you have the, the sphere that you're rolling around on. But to go towards the end of the dungeon, you have to like roll it into like there's a staircase that leads up into the final exit of this room to, you know, finally proceed. Uh, and in order to access it, you have to push in like these little like pinball parts that you have to yeah. push in on the sides of the stairs by rolling the sphere into it. Yeah, yeah. So in the main room, yeah, you're navigating around lava, you go around some corners and you see like a large, large switch that you push into the walls, Yeah, uh, opening up different areas. I think it like extends a bridge in one part. Um, yeah, no, it, it raises a platform, which is part of the stairs that you have to go up. Right. But I, I have two things to mention about this, okay? The first thing is my personal experience in getting them done, because me dealing with them with my brain uh, actually kind of almost doubled the amount of time I spent like doing this mm -hmm. because I didn't realize I didn't like spot the first one when I was first rolling around in here. Mm -hmm. And to get to the second one on the opposite side, you have to blow open a hole in a wall with a bomb and then roll the sphere in there across like a Mario Galaxy style, you know, lava road that's like on either side it's pits, but you have to stay on the lava. And I finally make it across there. There's a couple different rooms to get through that whole thing. 
uh, with enemies, bats, uh, etc. I get to the other side, back into the main room to push this second piece in, not realizing that it's the second piece. I look on the other side of the stairs. I'm like, no, 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 please don't tell me I have to go all the way back the way I came. Yeah. Yeah, that that Mario Galaxy style puzzle is like the latter part of this dungeon. So yeah, you you totally missed the early thing mm-hmm. <laughs> and did the second half. And unfortunately, I did go all the way back to get the first one before realizing that opening the second one also opens a little shortcut to get back to the first one, Chris. Oh, so you could have just pushed forward a little longer. I there wasted are... so much time doing this. Yeah, there are a lot of shortcuts. There are a lot of like little cracks in the walls of this volcano that you could throw a bomb onto and it'll blow open a wall. It'll break open boulders, you know, kind of all the usual things. And as soon as you get the mini map, those little breaks in the wall are are noted by an X so you can kind of see it all. Uh, actually, you kind of mentioned one of my favorite. I think this is one of the more memorable dungeons in this game. Oh, yeah. Right before that section where you are navigating over lava that is above like a void of nothingness that you can fall into. (laughs) It's pretty weird. So that part in particular, what you can do is you can go into first person mode. And in first person mode, you have a little bit more like of a precise you have like a closer view. So you have it's almost like a a little bit easier to be precise. Really? um, So you won't fall off but yeah i mean it's not it's not super hard to like navigate anyway it just really slows you down Mm -hmm. but just before that there's like this tight hallway where you are navigating the boulder and there are dragon heads in the sides of the walls just spewing lava out from the walls you gotta like weave between them uh while also like keeping lava spumes at bay like rolling over lava spumes and like there are a bunch of hidden alcoves with boulders that you have to blow up with bomb flowers it's just like that that hallway in particular i thought was actually pretty fun i agree that that was a pretty memorable spot especially considering like the dragon heads which i'm glad you point out pouring out lava just vomiting lava constantly Mm -hmm. i'm willing to bet that originally those were meant to spit out uh hot spring water that's a cool idea. Yeah, again, that would be a cool thing if we were able to get some insight into like before or even like after if at the end of the game, if you leave this place in a state that's different than the state it's in when you're traversing it, it would have been cool to see something else like that. I mean, even just going through the place, you have to blow it up a little bit, actually. Oh, you blow up so many walls, which is, again, just incredibly irresponsible of Link, mm-hmm. right? Like you're in a volcano. You could... This whole thing could come in. You're throwing bombs at all the walls and everything. The second you walk in there, if you pull, every single bomb you pull out is a potential death warrant for yourself. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, so we kind of just spoke about a lot of the second half of this dungeon. Yeah. We're winding really quick and going back to the first half. You do see Cobalt, the uh, magma, the Cobalt magma. Good, good. More magmas. Yeah. Who tells you he saw a blonde-looking girl getting dragged away? Um, it sounds like Zelda had a very bad time. Like, we'll get a few instances of this I'm going to point out. Uh-huh. It sounds like Zelda had a particularly bad time in this volcano. But I mean, I guess to be fair, who would have a great time traversing a volcano? Aside from us, we have a great time. I'm wondering how they got her through here, like with all the disjointed platforms and whatnot. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so there is also back in that main room, there's a bomb flower puzzle. Like, you know, pick up a bomb flower, roll it under a gate, oh. blow up a thing. And that actually leads you into the mini boss room for this dungeon. And the mini boss for this dungeon are dual Lizalfos. 
not a not a big deal i think no totally not a big deal but like it is like specifically i mean you get a reward like they don't have like a title card or anything but like it's (laughs) could you imagine just says two lazolfos two lazolfo two of the thing um (laughs) so the cool thing about this that i didn't pick up on in my first playthrough but i did pick up on since this is a reference to ocarina of time it is yeah, so in Ocar- I th- I mean, I think, I don't know. I This could be an assumption. This could be me putting something on that I want. Wist- wishful thinking. This could be wishful thinking. But there is a part of Dodongo's Cavern, the first big dungeon in Ocarina of Time, that is the Fire Temple of Ocarina, um, where you are battling two Lizalfos. Oh, that's right. In, in multiple, on like an inner arena where there's multiple platforms just like this. Um, and you have to chase them around a bonk them. I remember that fight being kind of messy. This this one is more well planned out by the developers, I think. I mean, come on. That was the first foray into 3D oh, they were doing. Oh, no, best. yeah, no, I'm not casting dispersions <laughs> here. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty cool seeing. It kind of feels like a look how far this has all come, like especially doing doing this, you know, in motion with motion controls. and yeah. You know, it looks a bit, it looks arguably nicer in Skyward Sword. I will say I'm very thankful that uh, this fight's a little easier than it is, you know, the equivalent in Ocarina of Time. Because because my experience with Lozolfos in this game in particular is that I can kill them in either five seconds or five minutes and there is no in between for me. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's one of those enemies where you you hit them, and then if you if you take a bad swing, sometimes like I would find myself flailing a bit. Exactly. Like them and Deku Baba. Deku Baba really drove me up a wall in this game. It but kind of if you can tell how frustrated you are with an enemy in this, with how much you just flail at them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, you take on the two Lizalfos. There's really not much to say about this fight. It's the same as fighting one Lizalfos, but there's a second one. But more. But more. I mean, later on in this game, you'll fight more than two Lizalfos, like, mm-hmm. at once, I think, also. I will say the the little arena you're in does look pretty cool, though. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. Um, but when we beat them, you get the bomb bag as a reward. I have a question about the bomb bag, Chris. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I didn't really have cause to question until this game. Because um, you pick up bomb flowers. There's no... There's no um, manufactured bombs you know just the smooth ones with no you know anything these have the the pedals and everything Mm -hmm. and the only way you can get them to not go off is to stick them in a bomb bag like there's no ability if you're you're about to ask me how that makes sense at all i've got no answer i mean (laughs) well i mean i'd say there's probably certain methods that you could employ to make that work i'm just wondering if you had any theories i mean this goes back to what what ignites the bomb off of the bomb flower which we discussed uh at length in the previous episode literally any jostling right so is it nuzzling it in a bag that stops it i mean that doesn't make sense because then why can't link hold it steady and and prolong the explosion Hmm. or prolong it from exploding we never see him like you know lick his index finger and thumb and just go on the fuse (laughs) right so maybe he just like maybe maybe the okay here's maybe what it is Maybe a bomb bag is so airtight that it has no oxygen to have a fuse on. And it puts it out. Yeah. Which would imply that oxygen is maybe one of the initial catalysts also. For fire? Like, in most places. 
Right, right. So there's something. So you rub the the flower part off of the stem, and then something about the ox uh, the oxygen also helps ignite the flower initially. Mm-hmm. But then you put it in the bag. Okay, so here here's where this falls down on me. <laughs> okay, narratively in this game, this is Led's bag. This is just his bag. Like he just has this, right? And he says, "Oh, those red things stole my bag." And then when you beat the boss, he says, "Hey, listen, you can keep that." Like, you're doing important <laughs> stuff, buddy. Like, it's all yours. But, like, it's not like this is a manufactured... Like, he's he's not that smart. I know he's not that smart. Are, are you Maybe su- he is. Are you suggesting that Led stole the bag, or... No, what I'm saying is... <laughs> I don't think it's... I think this is just a... I think we're giving it all way too much credit, is what I'm saying, I guess. I, like, I love, I love the idea that the closed-in... <laughs> um, nature of the bag stops the oxygen and suppresses the explosion but i don't know man. i suppose we could just you know accept that it's a game mechanic and and move away but you know that's not how my brain works no no but i do think we came to as good of a resolution there as <laughs> as we could have come to so we do bump into lead back outside of the boss arena and he says oh right you're looking for your friend you sure have put yourself out there getting this far it reminds me and it reminds Led of Cobol, uh, and he asks how he's doing. You could say, like, he's gone, or you could say he's worried. And either way, afterwards, he's like, oh, man, I've got to find my friend. Listen, why don't you take that bomb bag? I'm going to find Cobol. Um, and I think they pretty much get out of the dungeon at that point. So again, it's like they're, they it's like they have fear of this place. I guess it's because of all of the enemies, though, more so than the lava itself. So you get the item of this dungeon, the bomb bag, um, and... I don't know, pushing forward, are there any other rooms that stand out to you other than fun boulder puzzles? Uh, I'm I'm trying to remember other rooms before we move forward from the hub. So the, the hub in here, there are four paths extending from it. I guess three if you discount the entrance that you come through. And there's just a lot of optional treasure, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But it doesn't make for a good like podcast thing because the treasure <laughs> the, the treasure is all randomized. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we could say there's this here or this here. You found another amber relic. Exactly. It's all just crafting components, mm-hmm. um, which is fun to play through and get some of them, you know, if you're into the upgrading mechanics. But better to do not so good to hear. Yeah, so there's a lot of beetle puzzles. Eventually, we're going to get to a room where there are multiple slopes that we need to run up, each of which having boulders coming down at us. This, this I was wondering about. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. You look to the, so, so it's these three or four inclines. It almost looks like, it reminds me of Mario 64 level for some reason. Yeah. All with boulders coming down. And to the left, you can see some alcoves that are like, they have boulders blocking them off. If you look to the right, you can actually see some overlooks that you can approach. You do some like crouching and there's some navigation puzzles that will get you above these inclines. Uh-huh. You throw some bombs down, you blow up the alcoves, you get some treasures, um, but you're making your way upwards essentially. Oh yeah. I mean, if you see a slope with boulders going down it constantly, you the video game assumption is I have to run up that and not be hit by boulders. Unlike the outside of this, you don't see like bacoblins or anything throwing the boulders down. It just is like there are perpetually boulders coming down. Yes, which suggests which weird. suggests that it's mechanical, right? I guess so. So is there just like a conveyor belt somewhere just dropping boulders down constantly? I mean, hold on to that thought because there's certainly one later in this dungeon. <laughs> sort of. Oh, I like that. 
Anyway, so we keep going upwards, and there's a room with a large dragon sculpture. At the top, we'll get the boss room key, but then the large dragon sculpture drops this boulder that chases you Indiana Jones style or Crash Bandicoot style, the real icon. Or Sonic Adventure 2 style. Or Sonic Adventure 2 style. (laughs) We could have stopped at Indiana Jones, which is like the coolest reference Mm -hmm. that we made. We didn't have to... Uh devolved down we had to go that. it's downhill that we're going downhill right now chris oh it was metaphorically all downhill from there uh, <laughs> anyway so that boulder chases you back to the beginning of the room and gets swallowed up by like another dragon statue or like a it was hard to tell it kind of looked like a dog or wolf statue that swallowed it up to me it looked like another dragon like it, okay. it, it catches it in its mouth so a dragon spits out a boulder and it rolls down like a spine of some sort and lands in the mouth of another dragon which gave me this could just be me but it gave me like very much an impression of cat dog do you remember that <laughs> yes <laughs> oh man cat dog but dragon dragon it's dragon dragon it's dragon dragon um So it gets swallowed up by that other dragon statue, which I'm still on the hill that it was a wolf or a dog. Hey, could be. And then you enter the key into the door and you have entered the boss room. I'll hold off on the name of the boss for another minute because we don't see them initially. Initially, what you see is you travel up a walkway and above you is the skeleton of a dragon. And that goes so cool. It looks, it is really cool. Yeah, it's it's a cool set piece. The boulder from the previous room is here and it travels upwards along the skeleton into an unknown location. We don't really know where it went. Um, But this is that um, conveyor belt that I was mentioning a second ago when you, when you made that reference. Then there's a chain on the floor here where uh, Phi will come out and say, I detect an especially strong reaction from this chain. I calculate the probability Zelda was bound by it recently at 95%. I surmise she was able to escape and proceeded along this path. So is she like picking up like pheromones or like is she she's able to scan the DNA on like skin flakes left on the chains and whatnot? Yeah, it's definitely a quick DNA scan Batman style. <laughs> Who needs Batman games? Like Roxy should just do a, a, a Fi game. That's challenging, I think. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I know. that. Yes, please. I hope that doesn't get uh, uh, quoted uh, after this. I, I don't actually mean what I said there. <laughs> anyway, you continue forward and you navigate up to a very cool looking dragon statue. And atop the dragon statue is Girahim. He's on top of like the dragon's nose and he's laughing down at you, pretending he forgot your name. Oh, this he remembered. Up. You know he, he did. He remembers. Uh, he says he's feeling a bit frustrated and needs someone to vent to, which is a funny. I mean, it's not. It wasn't funny listening to it, but I lo- <laughs> like the idea of that. Is I'm is just funny. really down in the dumps today. <laughs> he says his underlings captured Zelda, but the goddess-serving dog, who we've discussed last episode as Impa, set her free. He says something good can still come of this, though, and his friend will char Link to a crisp. He then snaps his fingers and the dragon structure's mouth opens and the aforementioned boulder comes down on us and we are introduced to our boss of the dungeon, the pyroclastic fiend Scaldera.
So the temple spits Skaldera out? I mean, honestly, if we want to recount the events that led us to this moment, one sculpture spit the boulder into another sculpture's mouth. It then traveled <laughs> upwards. I don't know how it got the momentum, but it traveled upwards along a dragon skeleton. And then Giraham snapped his fingers and the other statue spit out the boss boulder. Was that maybe going to happen anyway? And Giraham's like, here, I'll make it look like I did it. I, I mean, how would he know unless he's been there for a while seeing it happen? <laughs> Do you think that Skaldera is just going back and forth until something cool happens? And he was like, oh, okay. Like... Giraham, like, noticed that this was happening. <laughs> Skaldera has a, a appreciation for dramatic timing, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Skaldera is... Do you want to describe Skaldera? Do you have a picture up? I can if you don't. I do. I have one. Uh, real quick, though, the name Skaldera I like a lot because it's a portmanteau, one of my favorite things, uh, which is the words scald, which to be burned with hot water, and mm -hmm. caldera, which is, I'm reading here, a large volcanic crater. That's a good one. Pretty I mean, good. there are non there are nonstop portmanteaus in this game, yeah. but that's actually a very good one. This Agreed. this is like borderline a Pokemon name. I could see a Pokemon being called Skaldera. That's actually a great Pokemon name. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, in any case, Skaldera looks like well, I mean, he has well, they they have a series of um, forms. The further you fight them, they start off just as like a boulder that kind of opens up with uh, uh, cracks of lava and magma inside of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but then it opens up sort of like a Deku Baba head. It opens like a Pac-Man and inside it's full of lava and like teeth made of lava and also like just one crazy looking multicolored lizard eye that pops out of one side. Apart from that, it also has several, I can't count them from here, but several uh, uh, little spindly daddy long legs arms uh, made of lava also, which at the end of each- six. Six? I think. It could be. Um, but at the end of each, like, Daddy Longlegs arm is a big old goofy glove hand that looks like those slappy goo arms that you get from a vending machine. Yes, that's a very good comparison. That's exactly what they look like. Um, and the further you fight it, the rocky exterior wears away to where it's almost entirely made of lava and just, like, only a little bit of rock left. Overall, I think it's kind of pretty intimidating because like what it's one thing to see a picture it's another thing to fight it up close because this thing is huge and moves surprisingly fast yeah for sure and it's also like throwing itself at you quite often it also has like a lot of teeth under the fire like when yeah. you're looking at it i didn't catch this playing it but looking at a static image of it like rows like very very long rows of very small fire teeth mm -hmm. i kind of <laughs> hate it yeah it's <laughs> entirely unpleasant I kind of liked this boss fight. So so Link, the, the boulder comes down. Uh, Link jumps out of the way. It gets to the bottom of the walkway. All its legs pop out and it roars at you. Um, this thing starts chasing you. And then upwards up the walkway that you're on, about halfway up the walkway, it starts to slow down. Right. Um, and while it's slowed down, you want to toss one of your bombs at it. And then it, it will fall back and start inhaling. Well, it'll it'll fall and it'll roll all the way back to the bottom. So you're going to kind of have to chase it. Right, right. And you actually brought to my attention. I, I knew that this was similar to other bosses in the in the series. But do you want to say specifically which boss? Oh, it's Dodon it's a Dodongo, King Dodongo. Yeah, this is totally the King Dodongo stand in for Skyward Sword. Like it's exactly that fight. Very familiar. So yeah, it, this thing essentially kind of flails upwards and downwards this thin walkway and you want to 
kind of either roll out of the way if its legs aren't out and it's just rolling, or you want to climb underneath its legs if it's crawling. My strategy for fighting this dude is to just run up the the long walkway up towards the top, because then you have like a flat platform there for a little bit, and plenty of time to evade all of the the fire that he'll shoot your way once you uh one like after you hit him he shoots it like a, a several volleys of fire that ride up the platform and come towards you. Yes. Yeah. But the other thing about being up there is that if you time it well enough, like the fuses on your bombs, you can actually just roll the bomb down towards him while he's doing his little Kirby inhale to suck up the bombs and whatnot, uh, which you have to move very little. If your timing is good, you are set. Although, then again, it's good to be near him as well, because once you hit him with a bomb, he does the the Zelda boss thing where he's knocked out for a second. You got to slash at his eye. Right. Yeah. This this whole dungeon feels like it enforces in your head the timing of throwing a bomb and how long the bomb takes to explode. And like that kind of culminates in this boss fight where it can be advantageous if you have that kind of down in your head. Well, for if, sure. if you're unlike me and actually have that kind of uh, ability to learn that, then you're in good hands. And as you said when you were describing it, it as you blow this thing up, its outer layer chips away and it kind of just becomes a fireball that peter's out i i feel personally attacked by i am feel personally attacked by that that was not <laughs> so yeah once we defeat it is there anything else you want to say about this boss fight before we talk about what happens after? Uh, i'm trying to think about anything else i, I think i'm kind of tapped I'll, although um just real quick Fi does mention that scaldera inhabits the earth temple it lives here I mean, it makes more sense for Skaldera to live here than anything else in this world. Right. But back to my point that, like, Girahim didn't, like, conjure it. He just was aware. Right. And he just did cool finger snappy thing at the right time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it. He's not fooling anyone. He's a goober. So once we defeat it, we're going to enter a room at the top of the boss arena. So, like, there's a bunch of... If you need them, there are a bunch of heart flowers up top. Right. As well as additional bomb bag flowers. I, I guess we didn't mention it, but like now that you have the bomb bag, you can actually store your bombs in the bag, right? So you like pick it up and you can have up to like five or ten different bombs in the bag instead of just holding one. I we I guess we kind of implied it. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. I mean if you if you're familiar with the franchise, then it goes without saying, but just in yeah. case you don't know. Mm-hmm. So on the other side of this door up here, though, we see Zelda and Impa in this very serene Earth Spring. We did we it. Discussed. Game over. We found Zelda. We made it. Mission Game complete. Game over. So Zelda is playing the Ballad of the Goddess again on the harp as we walk in, and uh, Link and her notice each other, and the two are very excited to see each other. And Zelda tries to embrace Link or just walk towards him to say, hey. You wouldn't believe what just happened in this <laughs> friggin' volcano. Um, but the goddess's watchdog stops her and uh, says, You cannot go to him, your grace. Remember what we discussed. Restrain yourself. Focus on the task at hand. To which Zelda looks at Link and says, I have to go. I'm sorry, Link. And she steps into some kind of weird yellow portal in the center of the room. Mm-hmm. And that's when things go down. I love this dialogue from Impa afterwards. Oh, yeah. Uh, she says, it took you far too long to get here. Looking at you, I fear the goddess is mistaken in her choice of agents. Ooh. If this failure is any indication, you have no hope of defending her grace from those who seek to assail her. Do my words sting? Let them. If I had not come when I did, your Zelda would have fallen into the hands of the enemy. The truth is, you were late. Jeez. 
please. And then she tells you if you want to help, you have to summon a shred of courage and face the trials before you. I, I mean, in like 10 seconds, she is a thousand times more effective at cutting Link down than Girahim ever <laughs> is at any point in this game. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and it's a good. I it's 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 way too harsh, but like it's a good point, and it I think exactly the motivator that Link needs, kind of at this point in the story. You're incompetent. You're slow. You're a coward. I mean, it's I I think it's it's intended to be less of that and more of like you need to keep doing better. I'm, that's not how I took it. I, I I was thinking like this is like the first Impa, the first ever version of Impa to tell us that we suck. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I, to be fair, she, Impa got in and sees Zelda chained to the floor in a volcano. And she's probably <laughs> like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, we didn't. We could have been a little faster, baby. Yeah, we shouldn't have grinded for all those upgrades at the bazaar. Oh, well. Anyway, then she disappears into the portal before it closes. <laughs> I have a note. She must have missed my boulder riding skills. Because <laughs> she'd be pretty impressed if she saw those. Oh, that's anyway. why. It's because it's, I was messing around going back and forth on the lava to get the pinball parts to push in. <laughs> yes, she was not impressed by that. Uh, so we go up ahead. There's another Skyward Crest, similar to the previous spring. And we strike it and we obtain the Amber Tablet. Just a really quick message uh, from the gods that we get from Phi. Uh, she says, from the edge of time, I guide you. The one destined to carry out the goddess's mission the spirit maiden who descended from the clouds has passed through the earth spring and makes her way to a faded place. The parched desert of Lanayru, that is where the chosen will pass through the gate of time into a distant world. Gate of time, Chris. I know. It's exciting stuff. We're going to some important places in the next episode. We're heading to one of my favorite locations soon. I think it's. I think it might be the. I think this is possibly the coolest or one of the coolest dungeons. But like the next area, I think is one of the coolest areas. Oh yeah, overall. So Chris, what are you feeling as far as a rating for this for Earth Temple? That's a good question. So I feel like it is going to be easy to fall into the trap every time we rate a dungeon as a livable space to be like oh well it's overly hostile and this or that that's fair that's going to that's going to likely get pretty old pretty quick as we do this like almost every other episode or every three episodes although i mean in the previous episode we did address briefly that like going forward we're going to tackle ratings as though you are going there fully equipped like you can handle all the, sure. all the dangers and stuff sure but still like even if you can handle it doesn't mean it's ideal to handle it no definitely not so sure it is overrun by lava and sure <laughs> there are lizard warriors everywhere attacking you and sure the thermostat is always cranked a little bit too high but what I'm thinking about is the exercise opportunities you get in there. You have that <laughs> ball that you can ride all the time. You've got a great core workout every day. It's true. Not only that, after after you get that exercise in, you have all of that that lizard meat that you can barbecue, or oh. even or even those. What are those fish? The magma spumes. Oh, you want to eat those? Oh yeah. Are you kidding? After you you work up an appetite? Oh boy. Uh, Fillet those fish. 
honestly, this might be my highest one yet. I think. Oh, also, you've got like the cool Chinese statues and monuments, which are like legitimately pretty nice everywhere. I would say in person, those like the artistry would be pretty impressive. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Aside from the fact that almost all of it is half buried in lava. But I mean, (laughs) what you see is great. (laughs) <laughs> I do remember seeing a thing. It's like, if you go anywhere near lava at all, if you're in the vicinity, you're basically going to like melt or explode without even touching it. Yeah. So yeah. it's not a great day either way. But assuming that you can live in there without completely combusting, I'm going to give the Earth Temple a 3.5 out of 5. Wow, that is a lot. I love it. Is that the it's... highest rating of anything so far? Probably. I like legitimately like this this area. I mean, I've liked Skyview... uh, No, I didn't like the dungeon part of Skyview Temple. I really liked the spring. Oh, was it... um, Yeah, Farron Woods. Farron Woods might have been like the highest one we've done up until now. Yes. Yeah, but I think that there's such a stark contrast in the lead-ups to the dungeon and the dungeon themselves. Like, the dungeons are oppressive and hostile in a way that... Like, thinking about even Laneru coming up, like, Hmm. the lead-up is so much more pleasant than the actual dungeon again. Lanayru's rating might surprise us. I have a weird feeling about that one. Okay, well, we'll have to save that. In in any case, I think I might have to disagree with you on the Earth Temple for one just one single detail, and it's not the bombs, it's not the boulders, it's not you know the lava even. It's the fact that in the very first room, the place is just boarded up. <laughs> they don't want you in there. Whoever like you know all the temples are all locked on the outside when you open the place. But even when you're inside there, they have a drawbridge up and everything like they this place is not set up for people at all. Okay, but but sure. But every dungeon's going to have that because the game needs to slow down Link's progress in the dungeon. (laughs) I suppose I'm not so sure that like whoever was here that they expected you to have, you know, a beetle buddy to take out their chains up in the higher levels. Right. They almost certainly didn't. So I'm probably going to go with a... Let's go with a two. I'm going to go with a two for the Earth Temple. I wonder if if you've been listening to each of these episodes and you enjoy this this weird arbitrary rating segment <laughs> at all. Let us know if you think that if you think it's good as it is, or if you think that we should agree to a rating, like an aggregate rating between the two of us. Like, should we hash this out until we come up with one <laughs> official Hello Hyrule rating for each of these areas? I have I have one thing that I might add to this segment going forward, and we don't have to do it here, but I'm going to pitch it to you, okay? Is that if you have a low rating, like say you go below a three, for example, you have to think of what you would do to improve it as a tourist location okay that's a good yeah that's a good idea (laughs) which i mean just as an example i had my theory about hot springs here you know replace some not all of it necessarily replace some of the magma flow with hot spring and you've got a pretty solid location i feel like water would just evaporate i mean technically you would also evaporate if you're near lava yeah yeah (laughs) so yeah that's gonna wrap us up for for this dungeon Overall, great dungeon. I thought about this dungeon throughout the whole rest of my playthrough. Yeah, same. One of my favorites. It's honestly extremely impressive. And again, I can't overstate how good the music is. It really just, uh, it keeps me focused. And I can't overstate how much this is the fire temple. This isn't the earth (laughs) temple. This is the fire temple. What are they doing? It was the earth temple. I'm willing to, to give it that. 
Uh, fine. Anyway, is there any any other wrap up thoughts before we move on to the the postcard segment of the podcast? Um, Earth Temple's great. Uh, Impa's mean but fair. Uh, Girahim is not impressing me so far, and Magma continue to be the worst. M- Magma are fine. Okay, <laughs> fine. We're moving on to postcards. We can't get into this again. <laughs> All right. So we got two postcards this week. Um, I'm going to start with a review left by Rook. If you want, you know, your message read on the podcast, you can leave us a a review on Apple Podcasts and we try to read those, um, especially the five star ones of those uh, on subsequent episodes of the podcasts. So Rook left a review saying, this is such a delight to listen to every week. They are playing through following the timeline and just started with Skyward Sword. They are really fun discussions about things such as, have you tried throwing a Remlet off of Skyloft? I'm glad that resonated with someone. Uh, <laughs> as well as, what does this taste like? What's the deal with this rig tuition situation at the Knights Academy? First to my playlist queue the day it comes out. That's incredibly kind. Thank you. Rick. That's so sweet. Yeah, we love we love we love hearing from you all. You know, any sort of feedback, positive, constructive criticisms, anything. So we, it means the world to us. I mean, honestly, if you give us a five star review, you can insult me in the review if you want to. That's fine. There you go. So previously, we got people to pretend RP roleplay uh, as in, if they were characters in the world. Uh, I would love to challenge our viewers if you could role play a character in the world, but also insult Pete in one review. That would be fantastic. Wow, that's that's some gymnastics you got to do. Yes, but you will also certainly get you will be celebrated forever uh, on this <laughs> podcast. Um, separately, we have a postcard from Brian, and Brian actually wrote in the form of an email. Uh, so he wrote into HyrulePod at gmail dot com. That's right. And he says, hello, sirs. Thanks for the great pod. This is Brian, faithful listener and in-character travelogue reviewer. Uh, People might recognize Brian from a few episodes ago. He left the aforementioned uh, review in character. Uh, The episode on merchants, along with a recent stream, and I believe he's referring to the Draft Punks uh, Twitch streams, which have been streaming Skyward Sword every Sunday. Highly recommended. I jump into a lot of those streams and have a lot of fun talking with those guys. Um, inspired a question. What is the value of a rupee? What do you think the conversion rate is from dollars to rupees? What do you believe the average salary is for a Skyloft merchant? I never see anyone buying anything in there besides Link after all. (laughs) That's a good point. Is he, is he the sole driver of the Skyloft economy? Wow. These are good questions. Uh, being the hero of time is nice and all, but it seems like he could quite easily monopolize the market and live a cushy life in the sky with Groose if he'd just given up this obsession with saving <gasps> Zelda and or the it. world. I ship it. I, I love Groose. I am a big fan of that idea. We need another timeline where he did exactly that. <laughs> all right. So I there's a couple things to address in that. First one that I want to jump on is something that I should have pushed you on a little more uh, strictly as we moved on through the past few episodes. Mm-hmm. I believe you mentioned, I think maybe even episode one, that you are trying to figure out the value of a rupee as it pertains to the value of a chandelier. Okay, yes. I So I remember speaking about the value of a rupee because specifically in the first episode, we discussed an instance where you do a chore for Pippet, I believe it is, in the academy where you help 
move some um, barrels for the kitchen lady, and Pippet gives you 20 rupees, That's which the old, is half... Pippet plays no part in that. Who is it? Fledge. Is it, is it Fledge? It's okay. F- yeah. Maybe it's... Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's Fledge. So Fledge gives you 20 rupees, which is half of what Fledge makes doing that regularly, right? So the value for this kitchen lady to get barrels from a hallway into a kitchen that is attached to the hallway is 40 rupees. This is... So in preparation for this question, I pulled up the uh, sellback value for a lot of the things you can sell in this game. that exists? Holy smokes. Yes. So the idea that Fledge is making 40 rupees by doing this per Uh barrel is bonkers. (laughs) It, It was 40 for moving two barrels, yes? One or two barrels, I don't know. Because I think he like, gives us half. So it's 40. No, he gives us half. I think we move one barrel and he gives us half, which is 20. So it's 40 for moving it. Yeah. Okay. So what is the sellback, for example, a arrow? Do you sell arrows? You can't sell arrows. You can sell all the crafting materials in the game. Okay. So things like common things like amber relics, ancient flowers, dusk relics. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. Um. Since this is something that we picked up today, uh, and it's also something that I'd wonder how in the world people uh, in Skyloft would react to, a Lizalfos tail. Good question. I have that up. That is 30 rupees. 30 rupees for a tail? You're fighting an armored creature to get that tail. That's fair. You're putting your life on the line in a volcano to get that tail. You're getting 30 rupees? That doesn't make any sense. But, I mean, it depends on how much that is worth to people. But if to move a barrel is worth 20 rupees, then... I guess. Okay, sure. There's more of a functional value to moving the barrel. But like I said earlier, you could make a medium or large bomb bag with those tails. Or a sacred bow, which honestly rules, but I'm sure most people in Skyloft don't know anything about that. Are we are we underestimating just how nice the kitchen lady is? She might just be giving like an exorbitant amount of money. The kitchen lady threatens to get you expelled if you uh if we break her stuff, yes. Okay, 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 yeah. You're you know what, you're right. She's completely reasonable. <laughs> anyway, taking a step back and going back to the original question. What is the value of a rupee? Like, what's the conversion rate between rupees and U.S. dollars? That's hard to say, to be honest, because... You don't think there's... I can't Google a rupee to U.S. dollar conversion? No, no, because like a rupee, if I recall correctly, is an actual real-world currency used in the Middle East. It is in India. India, gotcha. So to answer Brian's question very specifically, one rupee is... 0.014 of a U.S. dollar. (laughs) Wow. So it's worth 14 cents. Uh, No, it's worth less than 14 cents. It's worth like one point something cents. Wow. I mean, I was maybe have said like a penny or less depend like if you're talking about a fictional currency but uh seeing that's for a real world I think, currency I, you know what this is all way too intelligent of an actual conversation for us to be having i could everything i said about in that instance could be completely wrong and i apologize for any misinformation <laughs> i provided there i'm i'm thinking we're gonna have some kind of future goal like either if it's for subscribers or reviews or for something else in the future that like if we reach that threshold we will actually have that conversion done at some point uh okay great yeah that seems like a lot of work but fine yes we'll see (laughs) so 
So what do you think the average salary is for a Skyloft merchant? What I hmm. what do you think they're getting paid? I mean, I guess they're getting paid in rupees, right? You're the one doing it. Well, we have people in various side quests who use potions, for example. Uh, at one point, Oriel uh, makes use of potions and also Fledge in one way makes use of potions. Granted, we buy them for people for various reasons. Sure, but they are still using the goods, right? Okay, we only, we're the only ones who have the actual means to buy the things, which, mm-hmm. are, you know, there are some things to say about the economy of Skyloft. But it's hard to say, especially because, like, if you're someone who has a lot of rupees, then chances are you're spending it also in the bazaar. So do you just, like, go across the way? I mean, to be honest, you could probably bypass spending money in the bazaar for most of the game. Like, especially if this isn't your first playthrough, you could probably, aside from, like, Rupin and getting some good shields, like, I would say prioritize Beetle Shop. Beetle's the one making out like a bandit, and he friggin' shows it with his airship. He's, this is essentially like the Tesla of Skyloft, just like floating around. <laughs> Beetle is Elon Musk. Oh, no. I, I'm not crazy about having that name pop up in this podcast. But I mean, essentially, he is the Tesla driver. You know, every now and then you get someone in, in the work office who bought a Tesla and they are so excited to show everyone that they work with their new Tesla. That's Beetle in this game. I... This this one email is opening my eyes to a lot of things that I'm not entirely at home with. <laughs> so yeah, I guess the average salary, it's not a fixed salary like a lot of salaried jobs in the US. The average salary is all about the hero of time in that specific session, mm. and it fluctuates depending on the actual playstyle. Nah, I don't, I don't accept that answer. Here, Here's my question. I'm going to leave it at this, okay? Do people in Skyloft pay rent? (sighs) (laughs) Sometimes you ask questions in this show that never should have been asked and certainly shouldn't be answered. But but here we are. If there's minimal cost of living in Skyloft, then business is just like a side gig. You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, it is the worker doing... uh, Yeah, it's the worker doing what's needed for society to keep functioning. It's not about the the money spent or the money earned. It's It's not about the money. They own the goods of production. They are actually fully benefiting from them. You know what? I'm actually kind of into this now. I'm kind of into the bazaar a little bit more now. But but then, yeah, do... Yeah, right. So there's no one uh, collecting rent or... or even better, there are no, there's no bank collecting money for mortgages for these houses. Yeah, I mean, if anything, the number one thing that people, you know, pay money for is pumpkin soup, one, and their own child's tuition at the, uh, at the school Skyloft. Oh my god, Skyloft rules. <laughs> this did a big 180. Didn't expect that, huh? We're in, we're in some utopian no. times now. There we go. Okay, Brian, I hope that answered the question. If it didn't, let us know and let us know what your thoughts are, because that is a fantastic question. And if you have similar questions, again, please write them into HyruPod at gmail.com. That's right. So that's going to do it for episode 10. Bingo, bango, Chris, we did it. Like Chris said, if you want to drop us an email, send us one to HyruPod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also check us out on Twitter or Tumblr or, you know, most social media, Instagram, I think we have, also at Hyrule Pod. If you want to check us both out individually on Twitter, you can find me at The Edge of My Pete. And I am a man named Babs, B-A-B-S, as in boy. And remember, 
uh, if possible, try and drop us a review on iTunes. It is the absolute best way for us to reach out and expand our audience. Yes. And before we go, I have something really quick I wanted to say. Excuse me, podcast. (gasps) (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, no, he's dying. (laughs) Oh, wait, wait. The fairy bottle in his pocket opened up and he's fine again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, you scare me like that. Oh, Oh, man, that was a mistake, huh? I had to see what would happen. (laughs) 